and welcome to Peta Unplugged, the podcast all about Tasmania's mysterious, beautiful and controversial Lake Peta. I'm Tabitha Badger. On today's episode, I'm joined by Hilary Bennell. Hilary is an environmental conservationist, an educator, bushwalker and guide who was co-convener of the Peta 2000 campaign. In the early 1990s, New Age technology and science revealed the unimaginable that the original Lake Pedder, a national icon that was flooded in 1972 to create a, a hydro storage scheme, could in fact be restored. Along with her lifelong friend, one of the founding members of the Wilderness Society, Helen G, Hillary worked to ramp up the new Restore Pedder campaign. And in 1994, Hillary and Helen were successful in getting up a federal inquiry. Hillary was nursing an injury when we recorded the podcast, and the microphone was a little bit far away from where I am, so my voice might be a little bit quiet. Mind you, a broken foot did not stop Hillary. She's still been volunteering from the comfort of her couch for numerous environmental associations. Hillary's story is quite extraordinary, from the ardent work that she's put in over the years to the humorous encounters she'd had with some global celebrities. So please, enjoy episode two of Petter Unplugged with Hilary Bennell. I'll start back in when I was three. That's <laughs> when I first met Helen. We had uh, both had sh- uh, shacks at low head and we met in the tea tree swamp and on the beach. And her father died when she was three and uh, it was a tragedy for the family. And she was quite adventurous even when, but when she was six, she had a young sister, Roz, in the dinghy. And they, my dad had to swim out through the currents, through the, through the really strong currents as she was being swept into Bass Strait and arrived <laughs> panting to save her. Um, and then we went to school, she at Broadland, I, me at Broadland and she at MLC. So we, we had lots of fun times over the back fence and the beach and then at uni, of course, that was when we were free, free of our mothers, free of restrictions and mm-hmm. off to the reserve, first year uni, trips. I walked to Melaleuca with the University Biology Society and met Denny and had a wonderful 10 days down there. And Denny King? Yeah, yeah. and uh, on his boat and so on. Had a trip to Federation uh, across the... It, yo-yo track through the Huon Plains up to Federation and walk climb Mount Anne and Lake Petter was always this place that we knew we were going to it was the centre of everything and so finally in 1968 I walked to Lake Petter after a, another trip along the yo-yo track that was quite a, a rugged track we went there after the uni exams and there was a strong smell of mint bush in the air and we arrived at Lake Pedder and it was it was overwhelming it was uh, I'd seen a lot of the state by then had lovely experiences but I was unprepared for Pedder camped by Mariah Creek and swam in the creek and just in love with life and love with Lake Pedder and full of optimism and the, the splendor of life and then uh, Helen and I went in there. Um, it, there were already frightening signs about uh, the national park being revoked, and we didn't 
we thought that was impossible, that it was a national park forever. And then things got worse. And so the University Biology Society had a trip there. I went there for two weeks with Peter Tyler and Sam Lake and all the lecturers. And we, t- we, we even had a inflatable, which we took down the serpentine around all the oxbow bends yeah. on the river and explored the Mariah, the little lakes, Mariah lakes behind, and we were doing transects through the dunes. And and uh, I started taking lots of people in there then, four-year-olds, my, my mother, <laughs> who seemed ancient, who wasn't, um, my sisters, 11 and 12. At that time, would you predominantly use the new track? The Gordon River yeah, Road. predominantly, the but yeah. the yo-yo track we still use, but that was a bit of a slog in there along that, yeah. up and down, up and down, up and down for 20 kilometres. <laughs> yes, and uh, I remember uh, we we made a pool on the beach and the little four-year-old uh, had a yabby in the pool <laughs> and uh, we only had uh, tents made of japara that used poles from the bush no floor in the tent at all but it was it was just wonderful we had fires to cook on in those days and so it was very atmospheric sitting there cooking on the beach and took 10 minutes to walk across the beach it was nearly a kilometer wide and it was very moody and um, glorious glorious days and we still didn't believe that we'd lose the lake just my favorite place on earth Little did I know then that it was the most wonderful place I'd ever visit. The initial campaign to save PETA, what was your role in that in the 1970s? Right, in the 1970s I started teaching uh, and I had a a classroom dedicated to Lake PETA posters. And of course I knew Alagus and he came out to talk to the class and I had a class of naughty boys and Alagus came and spoke and, and you could see them rustling around thinking, who's this funny man come? And then when he spoke, you could hear a pin drop. They, he held them in the palm of his hand. He was so charismatic and he spoke to all my classes as part of science. Although in those days there, was, there wasn't environmentalism we had conservation so I'd started a recycling campaign and a bushwalking club with Mike Painter so we took kids bushwalking there were some keen environmentalists came out of that our bushwalking club eventually out of that bushwalking club but anyway after after things got really serious and it looked like Lake Petter was going to be flooded a whole group of my students marched from the school into town with placards. I was sick that day. I got rung up in a frenzy of fury and came back the next day to find all the posters and peta paraphernalia that lined my room torn to shreds and removed. It caused a furore with all these kids from Rosetta High walking maybe eight kilometres into town along the Brooker Highway. It's like the first school climate strike was it was quite it was quite uh, interesting there the audio visuals that Alagus did at the town hall were sold out they brought the magic to town and 
people were beginning to wonder about what was going on, completely surprised that such a place could be flooded. Of course, it had been revoked from being a national park, but we still had the optimism of youth that something so beautiful couldn't be, couldn't be torn down and flooded. A legacy slideshow, was that possibly the first real broad community awakening of what was actually happening? Yes. We were just getting rumours and the Lake Petter Action Committee formed. We ended up with a shop near the town hall. Uh, uh, in those days, you used to send press releases via a runner. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have... Uh, so a runner would run up with the, any press release we had. I remember sewing curtains and working in the shop there. That was uh, had a big role in it influencing people. Fast forward to 1994, the Petter 2000 campaign launch. You and Helen G were really the heart of that. Well, that was based on Peter Tyler's report. You have no idea how excited we were because you have to realise that when Lake Petter flooded, we were heartbroken. I left Tasmania for three years, didn't think I'd come back, and Helen the same. We we just took off. We couldn't stay here. Uh, she'd been at even at Crumble Down Camp right to the end, and uh, it was very dispiriting, very depressing. You just spoke about Crumble Down Camp. What was that? Oh, that was just a last bastion of uh, people trying to, as the lake rose on the dunes. It was called Crumble Down Camp. Yeah. 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 Is that? Where the just, vigil was set up. It was just bearing uh, notice that people still cared. Right to the last, even when Gough Whitlam offered to save the lake, it was still slight hope. But we were all worried that the, everything would be destroyed already because the water was rising. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we went overseas. I had three years going across Asia and... And I've travelled to some amazing places. I thought there would be better places in the world, but nothing has ever, ever compared. Possibly some moments in Antarctica or, or Greenland, but nothing really is blessed. It was a blessed place. Peter Tyler's report, what was oh, yeah. that about? Well, Peter Tyler, he was my limnology lecturer at uni and he'd moved to the mainland. And he uh, sent cameras underwater to film the beach and we we were just in awe it was still there of course we had to do something the tire marks were still on the beach the dunes were intact and so we were so excited yeah i can only imagine yeah back in that time to have that technology to be able to capture that is extraordinary this is in 1990 i think it's 19 early 93 or late 92 that and we were some of the first to find out about about this. So we'd been having Lake Petter Action Committee or early UTG meetings at the Broadby's house at Pilverata, dinner, elegant dinners, <laughs> Max Angus and Elspeth and all those people there. And uh, so, of course, the word went out amongst Petter supporters that, and, and there was a 
fever of excitement going around underground with a note we weren't allowed to tell so we had to get reports done and and we were having meetings a lot of them here at my place bob brown would come up and play the piano come early and play the piano and (laughs) have a cup of tea in a cup and saucer And the, and the meetings were very exciting, actually. The next step from the, the release of the report, how did it become public? Well, the actual public launch was at Cafe Who, and David Suzuki had given us $8,000 grant, and the Australian Geographic had given us a grant. And so we were busy organising, the, organising reports before the launch, Andrew Blakers and uh, Kevin Kiernan and um, and we had quite a lot of scientific research to back up the launch. A funny story is that David Suzuki sent Stephen, Stephen Bronfman as his representative to the launch. So we were hosting him and he came to stay here at my house. We didn't know at the time that he was the Seagram liquor heir. Their family had come from Russia and they lived in Canada. And when America had prohibition, they were bootlegging gin across the border and they ended up being squillionaires. And Stephen normally had bodyguards and people attending his every need in Canada. But we 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 didn't really know what, we just thought he was David's representative and we hosted him and we paid for everything for him. And then we heard via David Suzuki later that we were meant to ask him for funding. <laughs> But we were so naive that we never, we never dreamt of asking for anything. And unlike brash, the brash, we felt that people who asked were rather brash. We'd been to girls' schools and quite conservative. <laughs> and uh, we gave him petter T-shirts and petter posters and <laughs> paid for so much for him. And got it. we didn't get any any funding from him because we didn't ask we didn't know David Bellamy also came out for the launch from England I met him at the airport and then he he was quite quite excited to meet Bob Brown at the retro and then I took him in a helicopter over the southwest when can we get you to the vineyard in Italy Hillary David was quite a character very loud what was the community feel around the campaign at that time? It got out of control with excitement. We had <laughs> there was a a global network of scientists that were calling for humanity to uh, change their ways, and so we wrote out a a sheet with a where they could sign to say that they wanted to restore Lake Pedo as a symbol for humanity and we were getting uh, these forms back and letters from people like Paul Ehrlich who'd written The Population Bomb, J.W. Wilson, all all the people that I've been learning about at uni, even people like Joanna Lumley, Arnes from Finland I think. Um, a lot of writers were t- totally inspired, Bryce Courtney, I can think of so many influential people. So really we felt, well, the Aga Khan, Prince Philip, we felt like we were in a community of like-minded people and it was really quite exciting. And it became more and more of a frenzy of providing information to magazines and journals. We took an office at the Wilderness Society. A friend from Sydney came down and painted it the colour of the Lake Petter Beach. Oh. <laughs> It was a hectic place. 
one day I was outside calming a schizophrenic guy down and he said, I just want to get off the omnibus. And I went into Helen and said, me too, I want to get off the omnibus. <laughs> we couldn't stop. It was meetings twice a month for the public at good, at what was goodness gracious, then became Zanskar Cafe. There were fundraisers at the Fern Tree Tavern, Blue Moon over Lake Pedder. We had branches in Sydney in with Milo Dunphy, uh, Melbourne, Annabelle Richards, Bernie or Davenport, Arnold Rowlands, Helen Tate in Launceston. That's that's just a, a small idea of, of where we were providing information. And, and national coverage. National coverage in every magazine. Even the Women's <laughs> Weekly took Helen and I out <laughs> to be photographed at the lake. That oh, was funny. Wow. I think um, Dick Smith also wrote oh yeah dick smith was yeah. a big supporter he he was he gave some money too so there was lots to do an incredible lot to do i mean i'd be cooking dinner here for children and doing a radio interview or what have you and helen used to usually hitchhike in from buckland and she'd stay here as a general rule and then we'd be driving around organizing things and hectic time I after the federal inquiry I was very disheartened and took a break <laughs> but Helen and but I still supported Helen and she was still doing a heaps I was reading um Helen G's paper that she did on the social values and impact of restoring Lake Pedder and her predictions of the growth that wilderness tourism in Tasmania would have in the future is extraordinary accurate that's right uh louise crosley as well wrote a paper on that yeah. uh dr louise crosley it's it was obvious even from the days when Alagus said tasmania will be a shining beacon that's surely coming true and edward sinjin qc his words always inspired us our children will undo what we so foolishly have done and that that he was our patron as well as Auntie Ida West, David Bellamy, I think, and Edward Sinjin, and Yehudi Menuhin was really? a, was a patron as well. Yeah. Auntie Ida West, she was an Aboriginal elder, and she had a lot of force, foresight as well about Tasmania becoming a necessarily environmental beacon, and so we took her out to the lake. And she loved the trip, and we picked her up in the nursing home. And she was, she spoke a lot about how important Tasmania's Tasmania's environment was for her own people and for future generations. It's not about money, she said. And so much of that argument around Peta is based on economics. Well, how can anyone ever say what value that Lake Peta was worth intrinsically? You can't do it in money terms. Do you feel that there's been a shift in terms of our attitudes and values towards the environment in Tasmania over time? Well, there's obviously an enlightened group of people that have that feeling, but there's, uh, since the 1980s, things have got worse, not better. I was very involved in the forest campaigns too, and we could get politicians to come down and look at the forests and and change rules 
that they had. Nowadays, they're not prepared to even look at what they're losing and they're more inclined to be more politicised by the greenwash campaigns in the United States. And they're, I don't know if they feel ever feel guilty, but they should. Absolutely, they should. Our first look at greenwash campaigns was in the federal inquiry. We thought we had all the bases covered. We had all the reports. And then the platypus, which we hadn't covered. Uh, that really shocked us. I, f I felt so angry watching Nigel Fourteeth lie. <laughs> and that was headlines, and it really made Helen and I so guilty about what it was doing to the Green movement because we really cared for the forests and we really cared that things should be changing on that front as well. Nigel Fourteeth, of course, he claimed... What 4,000 platypus would die if Lake Pedder was drained. And had it, and then there were T-shirts printed and everyone wore them, Liberal and Labor. I, in a phone call I had with John Gay, he said he'd paid for them. He was, uh, he was head of guns at the time, which was logging the forest, so you can imagine how we felt about the whole thing. You can get very close to doing something and then the powers that be actually clamped down in such a underhand way. Helen G and I, I rem we went up to Canberra to lobby for the Federal Inquiry. That was funny too because I had to pick her up from Bob Walker's place in Short Street, Lindisfarne. It was an early morning flight. I couldn't find the house. I was getting hot and bothered. <laughs> Finally shot out to the airport and Helen screamed in in a taxi at the same moment. And we rushed onto the tarmac, leaving everything behind. And uh, Bob Brown was standing on the steps of the plane, <laughs> hot-footed it onto the plane, and it took off. <laughs> yes, I think he managed to hold it. <laughs> but we were well-received in Canberra. Every, everyone we wanted to see with our folders was very happy to see us and talk to us at length. We were taken to the parliamentary dining room and... And word went out that we had some good things to say about how good it would be for the country. And there was a lot of media coverage as well. That ended up in bringing a federal inquiry to Hobart, which we thought was going to be obviously the right outcome. Absolutely. No one could have foreseen the platypus debacle, which was, you know, in the benefit of hindsight and advanced science was entirely inaccurate. Entirely inaccurate. We even knew at the time it was. Peter Tyler yeah. said it was. Everyone said it was. The guy's lying. Uh, he was lying and he was made Tasmanian of the Year the following year mm -hmm. for scuttling the whole thing. Nevertheless, the inquiry found that it was fully feasible, uh, but it would take political will. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. <laughs> yes, and we've been... Uh, there have been there have been things happening. Lots of things have happened in uh, since that the media don't know about. I went to a Melbourne meeting that Rob Sitch had made from Working Dog had made a film for. Um, he turned up and said he wouldn't rest until the pride of all those old men had gone and Peter was restored. So I'm sure he's there in the wings. Oh, well, there was even John Farnham and... Really? Yeah. No way. Even Tony Abbott. 
which I right. dread to mention. <laughs> I think he had an argument with John Howard over it. I, I think there is political will. It's just a matter of the Liberal and Labour are united. I think once an idea starts growing, it really develops a will of its own. That's what Helen and I found, because we didn't have a moment to spare in those two years that we worked together. There was always something interesting happening. It was very stimulating. How do you feel today, You obviously as a part of the Tether 2000 campaign, you took people to the current impoundment. Yeah. How does it, how does it feel being there? Well, I don't want to go there. I only go... I like the Gyoto monks. I had a CD I got in America. They were brought by the Buddhist community to Hobart, coincidentally, just after I'd bought the CD for some unknown reason. Just stopped on my bike and went into a shop and bought their CD and thought, why did I buy that? <laughs> then six months later, they were brought to Hobart. And I went to their meditations. So they were very wonderful people. And... Uh, talked about Lake Petter to them and they agreed to come and and do a ceremony to restore the lake which was absolutely moving and hopefully that will work <laughs> one day. It's an inevitable It's inevitable, thing. yes, totally. And how do you feel about that today? Um, obviously there's the argument that Lake Petter's safe under the waters and we're in a climate and biodiversity crisis our forests are still being decimated with logging and mining. Our oceans are dying. There's so much fighting for our attention and so many important things that we need to be fighting to prevent the destruction of. But then we also need to restore Lake Petter at the same time. How do you feel about balancing those? I those think two there'll things? be a serendipity restoration, rewilding around the world. And there has to be because I think humans are going to need it. And they, back when I met David Suzuki, when he came out to talk about the climate calamity in the 90s, he was very anxious that it proceed fast, that we needed it now, back in the 90s. Well, we need it even more now. Sure enough, there are projects around the world happening all over the place. I've seen them planting Caledonian forests in Scotland, the Elwha Dam, the restoring the rivers for salmon runs. But this is this is just the biggest thing ever. It's going to go from down from 240 square kilometres back to 10 square kilometres to a beach that took was three kilometres long and one kilometre wide. And it, it's uh, something I really look forward to. How do you find the strength to keep going after all these years and the loss that you've seen in the environment you're one of the most optimistic people how do you how do you do it what's the secret it's not strength and uh, it's conviction and determination and love more importantly and so love motivates more than money thank you so much for <laughs> sharing your stories and thank you for everything that you've done over the years as well oh i only been one of a small group of people it's, it's not me, it's everybody and it takes everybody That was episode 2 of Petter Unplugged with Hilary Bennell If you'd like to learn more about Petter visit lakepetter.org and if you enjoyed the podcast be sure to share it with a friend We'll be releasing new episodes fortnightly 
and we're so excited to bring you some extraordinary guests into the future. I'm Tabitha Badger, and thanks for listening. Thank you.